Welcome to Insight Faster, a podcast by MDPI. Open access is only really open if it's open to everyone. So we decided to sit down with some of our researchers to let them explain some of the fantastic work that they do. We'll talk about what it means to them, but also how it's going to affect all of us. Thanks for tuning in. Music and movement are inextricably linked. Generally, their relationship has been one of music creating or encouraging movement. My guest today on Insight Faster is using movement to create music. Chris Rhodes is a researcher at the University of Manchester who uses gestural interfaces for musical composition. I'll let Chris tell you a little more about what gestural interfaces are in a moment, but for now, I'd like to welcome you to Insight Faster, a podcast by MDPI. Hi, Chris. It's fantastic to meet you, and thank you for joining me on Insight Faster. Could you tell us a little about your career and your current research? Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for having me, first and foremost. Uh, Yeah, to start with um, my career, so I I started off in in this sort of area during a master's that I studied at Manchester University at Navarre's Research Centre, sort of looking at how you could use um, gestural interfaces, which I'll explain a little bit later um, and new technologies such as game engines for example uh, I'm sure some people might be listening to this or maybe just for yourself as familiar with maybe Unreal Engine 4 or, or similar engines which uh, are used to create games you know, in a basic definition well I started investigating those and I realized that you could use that free um, software which allows you to create 3D games to actually correlate let's say for example the movement of a specific item in the game um, with music so it's a one-to-one relationship and when I realized that technology was possible and it's currently floating around then I began to dig a bit deeper uh, where I am today which is where I started a PhD right after that master's with Professor Ricardo Clement who's my supervisor who also uh, supervised my work during that master's and uh, we we started to investigate this field a bit more where the gesturing faces eventually uh, came in, which you'll, you'll learn a little bit about later when I explain that a bit more. And um, yeah, this is where I am today. I'm in my uh, third year of the research uh, and I'm drawing to a close now and to seeing how uh, such interfaces and movement and music is linked. Oh, congratulations. It sounds like you've made loads of progress since the beginning. And so when you started working with these gestural interfaces, were they a completely new technology or were they something that you already existed and you picked up on? Well, yeah, they were, they were new to us in a sense, I guess, but they're, they're, they're by no means uh, new or novel, I would say. I mean, for example, the medical industry has been using these kind of interfaces for a long time. Technically, the, the myo sensor that we use, use uh, medically graded sort of um, steel and sensors on, on, on the armband itself. So I would say in terms of technology, it's not novel, but in terms of the application is novel um, and it's really interesting because you've seen many different fields outside of medicine adopting these interfaces like for example in the visual arts in music in video game research all over the place really you, you see a lot of people using these nowadays so yeah it's the application which is novel not necessarily the technology why is it so advantageous for this application what's new about these gestural interfaces that wasn't in musical composition beforehand oh that's, that's a good question i think I think the thing that is advantageous is, is that you can use digital technology to add to an instrument at a very basic level. So, for example, uh, if I was playing in a violin and I wanted to, to make music from the actual bowing movement of playing the violin, 
you actually can. Because traditionally, obviously, when you move the bow arm and you play a note on the violin, the bow itself is creating the music, but actually the, the movement of the arm can create music too. So you're, you're adding an extra layer of depth to an instrument which already exists, right? So in a way that is augmenting an instrument, that's just one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that you can actually create new instruments just by not using one at all and playing like an air guitar and actually creating music, for example, like just for your movement. <laughs> yeah. That sounds right down my street because the only guitar I know how to play is air guitar. So, <laughs> well, hopefully it's uh, some use eventually for you. That was a brilliant introduction. So could you break down a bit more the actual technology that you're using when you're doing this sort of research? Yeah, okay. So um, maybe we should trace it back to where it started. So at the very end of my master, so in 2017, we bought this mile, this armband here, which is by Thalmic Labs. And we realized that this, in, this information you can get from these sensors is so interesting in terms of, it tells you movement about the, the sensor on the arm, but it also tells you about how your muscles actually behave, right? And we call that electron myographic data, that sort of behavior sort of data and information. So we, we only got that sensor because we, we won a grant to investigate how virtuosic musicians are virtuosic, like at a data level, right? So we started investigating that from a music perspective, but also from a scientific perspective. So it's partnership between Novas, which is where I'm based and where my supervisor is based, Ricardo Clement, and Alliance Manchester Business School at the University of Manchester. So data scientist and, and lecturer there called Richard Allmendinger is, is part of this too. So we, we became part of a team in music and data science, trying to understand how um, violinists who are really good at what they do are good at a data level. So we invited them into the studio got them to play some music, made them wear these gesture interfaces, this Mayo, studied the data and see if we could find anything interesting, right? So that gave birth, that project gave birth to my PhD project, like straight off the bat. So one year later, in 2018, I started this PhD research into gesture interfaces and, uh, and music composition. Uh, it went from there, really. So to start off, we had the Mayo, which is the hardware, the, the sensor, which is tracking your arms. Um, and then after that, it was more of a, on a software level. So any artists or uh, who are listening might have heard of Max8. I'm not sure if you've heard of Max8, just where it's a very visual programming sort of environment. So it's not a traditional like lines of code. Uh, I can't say I've got much experience with it, but I may have come across it a bit in my job. So it, it's good because it's not a traditional line by line of code. It's actually, you can connect cables to different lines of code. So you can really visualize how things might work, right? So we start using Max 8 with this Mayo and also Unreal Engine 4, which is free. And it's, it allows you to create 3D games, which is amazing. Yeah, just all three of those uh, points allowed me to start the research, right? The Mayo and the two pieces of software. Um, so a very, I won't go into it too much for the sake of time, but a very basic level, you get the information from the Mayo into Max 8, all that biometric information about the arm and, and how, it's, how the muscles are behaving in it. And then you send that to a machine learning software. This software called Wekinator um, by Rebecca Feebrink, an academic at Goldsmiths in London. Um, amazing work. But what she, what she made possible is that you could send any data you want to this machine learning software uh, and it became usable, it became accessible data then. Because... The, the information from the Mayo is very complicated, right? You need that 
machine learning software to break it down and actually make it usable. So it went Myo, Max, processed the, the data in there to machine learning software, and then to whatever you wanted it to, uh, to do, basically. For me, it was about predicting musical gestures, right? So uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about this later, but my whole PhD is a portfolio of music, mainly. So I composed several different pieces uh, and I deploy the technology within each piece and see what happens. And, you know, it's an experiment. It's a, a music experiment in that, in that sense. Yeah, that, that is, that's very basically, very loosely it, the whole sort of system overview. <laughs> okay, I think that, that that's good for me and I imagine for our listeners as well to break it down instead of just being this one component which kind of takes in the movements and spits out the music. To understand the individual components as you understand them as well is really interesting. Could you tell us a bit more about the armband and how you came across that and why that's such a useful device to capture musical movements? Yeah, um, yeah. So as I as I mentioned briefly, uh, they we we found out about this Maya by doing a bit of research towards the end of the masters because we got towards the end of my masters because we got um, a grant to investigate how virtuosic musicians play in the data level so we thought okay what kind of sensor can we use to capture that information and is it possible basically so after a little bit of digging we found out that this myo armband by thalmic labs who are no longer producing actually which is a bit sad um but they produce this fantastic sensor which gives you information which is really accessible on the market commercially and that's super useful for us in the arts who uh, don't really have access to medical grade equipment. You know, it's very hard to come by unless you're doing a specific partnership with the medical lab or something like that. So this armband gives you uh, something called inertial measurement units, which at a basic level is just how things move. And secondly, it gives you electromyographic information, uh, which basically tells you how muscles, and an, an estimate of how strongly they contract, right? So yeah, that's, that's how we came about it. And that's why we started to use it. And then that, that filtered into my um, PhD research where I am now later. Okay, so it's really something that was a, a medical technology that you almost co-opted for musical composition. Yeah, we reappropriated it. It really interested me earlier when you were talking about the different types of instruments and mentioned that these gestural interfaces provide the opportunity to create new instruments altogether and augment ones that already exist. Did you come across any instruments in particular that you liked having created or having augmented? Yeah, I think um, for me, it was quite a linear journey in the sense that when I started the research and started trying to create these instruments and seeing what I could do with this, this armband and the technology that surrounds it, um, I started to look at real instruments first. I thought that was a good starting place to understand how it could be used on a conventional instrument. Um, and then eventually became a bit more abstract. And as technology got better and my understanding got better of using the technology and creating it, eventually led to where I am now, which is I've just composed a piece which I've showed you briefly before the, the podcast, which was recently played at an event we did between uh, Royal Northern College of Music and University of Manchester. And um, the piece is about exploring a, a digital violin and what you can do with that, right? So then just to, just to recap, it went from the physical violin all the way to where I am now, which is a completely virtual one. So the idea was, okay, what kind of standard behaviors can you do on a real violin? Uh, let's try and emulate that with a virtual one first. So in the, in the piece, you can see me making these sort of turning the peg gestures and it reacts in the game in real time. That is fully interactive, like the machine learning knows what I'm doing and it, it tells the game to turn a peg. 
in the same time. And then later on in the piece, it becomes much more abstract. And I started to think, okay, trying to simulate what you can do in the real world is quite boring, to be honest, right? What a point. Like you could just do that on a real violin and it won't be very, uh, you know, interesting to do it in a, in a virtual way, right? So the second part of the piece is about what can I do that a violin can't do? And I can do it through gesture. So in that part of the piece, I use um, conducting gestures that I created. You know, you see a typical music conductor doing any sort of movements. I created four of my own to control violin pegs, right? It's quite abstract, but each violin peg responds to my gesture, whatever I tell it to do via these sensors. And that movement of each peg creates music, creates a new musical experience. It generates it, basically. So, that, yeah, I think that's my favourite musical instrument that I've uh, created to date. And from what I've seen of Chris's work, and uh, don't worry, we'll give you lots of links to videos and pieces of music and papers that Chris has written a bit later. But what I found when exploring your work is the further I go into it, the further it strays from what I expected it to be. I'd, like you say, perhaps a little naively, expected to come across people miming or playing the piano or violin and the computer recognising those actions and transforming them into instantly recognisable pieces of piano and violin music. And as it went further, what I realised is that my understanding of music, even at what I consider to be its most basic level, is one that I still access at a level where it's already processed and composed to some extent. But your use of gestural interfaces allows you to take hold of the more fundamental elements of sound and music, even beyond what we understand to be their most basic components. When I first got into it and the more I got into it, it wasn't what I expected, but it helped me to understand that its possibilities are almost limitless because it's not bound by our conventional understanding of music. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. I think what you just said there is absolutely spot on. Yeah, like the fundamental sort of textures, as we call them in sort of electroacoustic terminology, create what sort of like conventional music we listen to today, right? But if you take those components and you just, just focus on them, you create some really interesting sonic experiences, which are generated by you and your gesture and interactive events. So this whole field of of what you're, you sort of loosely described just of, of interactive music is quite new. It's also really exciting because no longer are things linear and fixed, but you have an input as to things will sound in real time for using digital technology. And you have, you have a lot of control during the performance of a piece, for example, and how things will sound. Yeah, it's, it's a really exciting um, subject. It is. And we're lucky enough to have some of Chris's music to play now. So I'll just play some of this and I'll let you see what you think. And Chris, I'll ask you a few questions after it. That's all right. Yeah, that's fine.
So could you tell us a bit about how that piece came about? Yeah, well, I started off working with the Stratford Ensemble. They were an ensemble based in Manchester uh, and were born sort of at the university and started investigating how, you know, what interesting sounds could you get from the violin, right? So after working with them to sort of see what kind of interesting timbres and what kind of sonic qualities you could get from the violin and how you could use that in an interactive sense. Um, that's when the pandemic started. So all my research got shut down, basically. You know, we had to discard a bit of work that I'd done with them, but I'd kept the recordings at least. So I have those violin recordings. And from there, I thought, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to lose everything I did earlier working with Stratfold. So I kept the, the violin recordings and I thought, how can I then put this into a piece within a, a game engine and probably model another violin which I can actually use and I don't I'm not restricted to working with another performer because the current situations right that's where it sort of that's where the seed started I think so so the piece has got two movements the first part is the the VR oriented movement and the second one is where I actually play uh, a violin or a, a real and a, an abstracted violin towards the end so the first one which I believe the the clip is from I still using violin timbres and sounds but I'm manipulating different sort of digital objects within VR. Right, this is interesting, at least for me, and I think the, <laughs> the research, because within with current VR technology, I'm not sure if you've used like a, an Oculus um, Quest or an Oculus headset before. It's, um, it's super immersive, but it's not fully um, tactile in the sense that what we expect to do in virtual reality doesn't meet our expectations as in what we can do in the physical world, right? So you can still tell that it's fooling you a bit. It's not fully immersive. So um, when I realized this and when I was using the Quest with the, the controllers you have, the back triggers allow you to actually grab things. So it just goes like this when you press a trigger, right? And then later they brought out this, this software update which actually maps your fingers really quite well, actually. So you chuck away those controllers and you can just use your hands to interact with things in VR. Right, that was really cool. I thought that's amazing. And then I thought, actually, strength of your muscles doesn't come into the picture. So actually, how can that be used musically? How can I grab things in VR, add the strength of my arm to the interaction by my research and by the software development and create musical actions based on that? So that technology that doesn't exist in, you know, create it, see what you can do with it. So that all came together, I think, in the first movement when I started realising these things. And these questions only popped up because of uh, the limitations of VR in a way, you could say. So then when I realised that and I thought, OK, what can I do with it musically? I started interacting with spheres first, the basic objects, started crushing them. And you hear these really interesting sounds get generated in real time from that movement. So what it, what it really is, is about that point, is using biometrics to create music within a new medium, which we don't quite understand yet, which is virtual reality. Yeah, that's it, really. Um. <laughs> Let me tell you that, in my opinion at least, that is incredibly interesting, that you're able to change how the sound is put out simply by changing how hard you're gripping a virtual object. I think both the implications and the, what you're doing with it now is incredible. Thank you. <laughs> and that it'll have a, a wealth of applications in the future. So we've seen now the end product. We've heard how it's done. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience actually doing it? 
Because I can't believe it's as easy as it as you make it sound. Not at all. <laughs> so the, the first year of the research was the hardest by far. I had to jump over many obstacles, mainly about being able to understand how you could process this biometric information, which is really complicated from the sensor. Um, there was a steep learning curve in terms of coding and programming. And also about the musical ramifications, because traditionally I come from a very fixed instrumental composition background. So when I've got that background meets, uh, and now my process becomes much more interactive and learning these new technologies at the same time, that was really hard to, to start doing, right? Start thinking, okay, I can give a violinist a piece of music and in the second movement, they've got two choices to make. They, they dictate how the, the piece will proceed just by using gesture. So I think, uh, just to narrow it down, I think program is a big obstacle. And also realising, and I think I'm, I'm grateful for this now, uh, two years later, but I don't know if I would go back then, I would appreciate it as much, but <laughs> I appreciate for the experience that there's always uh, an answer to a problem. At the time, I didn't really realise that, but now I think, okay, when there's a problem, there's always almost a solution. You just have to get there. That sounds like some... Fantastic advice for anyone in academia, really. So, something perhaps that I maybe also wouldn't have appreciated whilst, whilst I was at university, but definitely do now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so given we've gone from where we were to where we are, what's, what does it look like for the future, for, for this technology and for your research? Um, well, yeah, we've, we're very interested because we've seen some relative success behind this research inquiry in the form of, um, I think it, in my first year of the, the research, we published a paper and it won an award, like a, a student paper award. And so it was, we, we knew then it was a valued research question inquiry. Uh, and along the way, we've, we've had some, um, some nice feedback about the research. So I think towards the future, we're going to capitalise on what's been done and we're going to push it in a slightly different direction. And that direction is what we tried to do a few years ago. We didn't have the knowledge or the resources to really capitalise on so I think, um, yeah, after the PhD, probably going to go into postdoc territory, I think, for myself and, and investigate how this um, biometrics and music research can be used within the, the domain of artificial intelligence in the form of education, for example, and, and instrumental education. It seems to me that the, one of the applications of this might be opportunities that it could create for people who traditionally don't have access to the means or cannot use conventional tools of music composition yeah no that's that's absolutely correct so one thing we realized a long time ago is that you spend years learning an instrument right if you could just wear sensors like this and be able to produce sounds based on your natural gestures which what which is what we're trying to do anyway when we play an instrument conventionally um you could get a lot of out of it in terms of um mentally being able to express yourself you know, creatively in the arts and also in terms of being a, a technical skill that you can develop. Um, and music's just fun, isn't it? So um, <laughs> so that would be, I think, that, that is definitely uh, an area of application. Um, making music more accessible, I think, is what I'm trying to, trying to go for there. And bringing the joy that it brings a lot of us to anyone who can move at all, really. Yeah, no, precisely. That, that is, that is an, another area of inquiry which we've we considered. And also the ramifications it could have in, uh, like I was talking about earlier, like the uh, next generation of game engine technology. It's definitely got a part to play in uh, human-computer interaction in that sense too. Now, at the end of our podcast, we'd like to ask our authors to come up with a few things, say three or four, 
that our listeners can look out for in the next few years in their field. These could be conferences, TV programs, albums, anything. So what's next for gestural interfaces in musical composition? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think the first one is user-friendly gestural interfaces, which don't, ha- don't require prerequisite programming knowledge and, and things that you can only do at research and development level in institutions and stuff like this. I think that'll definitely become much more user-friendly. When that happens, you'll, you'll start to become adopted amongst many different sort of sectors. I think right now it's, uh, it's behind closed doors, the research, but I think eventually it become much more accessible. That'd be my first one, I would say. Uh, the second one is having much more user-friendly sort of AI applications in music from using these wearable uh, sensors, such as uh, imagine you're playing a piano, you play a few notes, but you want to do a sort of improvisation with someone. That improvisation could be done by an AI, which listens to what you do, and also what you're doing, doing gesturally and responds accordingly or has something to, to add to that um, situation. And the third one is, uh, like I briefly touched upon earlier, I guess, is advanced biometrics in video games. I think there's, there's a lot to say currently for how these interfaces come into VR, especially because uh, Oculus, you know, people behind one of the leading headsets for VR are already tracking your hands. That's a form of, of biometrics in play and they use machine learning to do that. So I think there's no, there's no reason why in the next few years you'll start getting um, more biometrics uh, trickling to sort of VR technology. That's not only useful for video game technology, but also for, for music eventually. So we always find something to do with it creatively. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that there are loads of applications that are still to come, particularly the ones about gestural interfaces making their way into the sphere of video game. Just quickly... Chris's music is at its best when accompanied by videos of the interfaces that he uses to create it. So if you're not currently driving, operating heavy machinery or giving your cat a bath or doing anything that requires your full attention, I'd really encourage you to head over to the podcast description. You'll be able to find videos of the interfaces that Chris used for these compositions, as well as links to his recently published papers in MDPI's Entropy Journal and with the University of Manchester. They are the perfect opportunity to expand on what you've heard from Chris today. And we'll also put up the video recording that we made with this podcast so that you can see how it all played out and just benefit from the visual input that definitely goes hand in hand with the music that we've discussed today. So thank you very much for coming to chat to me on Insight Faster, Chris. It's been really interesting. And I've had a couple of weeks of getting to know your work and it just gets better every time I speak to you and every time I find some more about it. Oh, Nowadays, I don't think we, uh, we can go a few days without hearing about a new way in which humans interact with computers. And most of these interactions are based on making things faster, more efficient and cheaper. Now, these are all important, but I don't think any can rival Chris's work in terms of creativity, accessibility, and the sheer breadth of possibilities that it offers. Previously, myself, I've kind of thought of music as creativity within pretty well-defined boundaries. So I'd like to say thank you, Chris, for joining me on Insight Faster to obliterate those boundaries and inform all of us, really, of the amazing things that are going on with gestural interfaces in music and in a lot of different domains that we've yet to find out about. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jasper, for having me. I've had a superb time. If you're interested in publishing with MDPI, you can find all the info on how to do that on our website, mdpi.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter for the latest about what's going on here. 
We'd also like to know what you want to hear about on Inside Faster, so feel free to send me an email at jasper.clo at mdpi.com with the researcher that you want to put on speaker. I've actually got a little more of Chris's music to play for you before we go. This is an excerpt combining real violin music with virtual sounds created by the movement of the bowing arm. Have a listen. Thank you, Chris, and thank you for tuning in. I've been Jasper Clow, and this has been Insight Faster.